Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Hello and welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska. And I am so proud to bring today's topic to you. We are going to talk about something that affects every single one of us in our practice, and that is trauma-informed care. And we know that trauma is something that affects a lot of our patients, and so we need to know how to take care of this and how to make our patients feel most comfortable. We know that trauma can cause people to react to different situations in healthcare in ways that we wouldn't consider to be compliant or positive. But if we take a step back and practice the principles of trauma-informed care, we can get better outcomes for our patients, make them feel more comfortable, and really understand some of the behaviors that we're seeing. So we have two very knowledgeable guests in today. We have Dr. Charity Evans, who is the medical director and founder of Dusk to Dawn, which is a youth violence prevention program that she formulated in response to seeing some of the violent traumas in surgery. And then her coordinator, her outreach coordinator, Ashley Ferens, who is an MSN MBA prepared nurse who served in the emergency department, but then became the Nebraska Medicine Trauma Program Coordinator as well. So She is knowledgeable and a fellow nurse, and Dr. Evans is also an amazing person and advocate for trauma-informed care. So we are so happy to have them as guests today on our episode of RN Huddle. So without further ado, thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to hear what you have in store for us. Hi, I'm Ashley Ferens. I am a Violence Prevention Coordinator at Nebraska Medicine UNC. My background is a nurse that started in the emergency department and worked there for about eight and a half years. And then I did four years in the trauma program doing outreach and education. And the last two years, I've been lucky enough to work strictly on violence prevention with my uh, very good colleague, Dr. Carrie Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Charity Evans. I'm the Chief of Acute Care Surgery, also a trauma surgeon here at Nebraska Medicine. And really just want to start by thanking you all for joining this podcast and and more importantly, the amazing care that you give our patients and the citizens of Omaha. So um, thanks for joining us today and taking some time to hear about something we're pretty passionate about, which is trauma-informed care. So some of you may have already received some trauma-informed care education through our initiative of spreading this information. And this might be new to others at this time. So we're going to give you a little bit of background of what trauma-informed care means. I think that as a level one trauma center, we tend to go to that physical injury, trauma alert, rushing off to surgery, gunshot wound, car accident, you know, the really, really severe physical injury that we see a lot at our hospital. But I want really to kind of put that aside and talk about what trauma-informed care means to this and that's really the cognitive and emotional effects that people are having based off of experiences of their history. And the history of trauma-informed care in Omaha comes from Trauma Matters Omaha, and that is initiative through the city, through the mayor's office, that started in December of 2016. 
and the mayor wanted 5% of the Omaha metro area educated in trauma-informed care, and that's where Dr. Evans and I kind of became involved. We really fell in love with this type of information. Sure, do you want to talk a little bit about what trauma-informed care, how it started in the ACES? Sure, so trauma-informed care is really honestly looking at what events have occurred in an individual's life um, that may be making an impact in how they're experiencing the world today. And so the basis of trauma-informed care really relies upon the ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. And these ACEs were, were first, I don't want to say discovered, but honestly studied in the 90s when two physicians um, started to look at in a large healthcare system out on the West Coast how a person's past may play into their current um, medical needs and their current medical issues. And so as a part of a large study, they asked 10 questions um, surrounding a person's history, or like I said, events that may have occurred before the age of 18. And so Ashley, can you tell them more about what those 10 ACEs were and the questions that were asked? Yeah, so in Kaiser Permanente, they of this kind of retrospective research looked at over 17,000 predominantly white middle-class college-educated adults, and they looked at three different categories broken into 10 questions. And those questions fell under the categories of, uh, did you have a history of abuse, neglect, or household dis dysfunction? And that abuse might have been physical, emotional, or sexual. Neglect, again, physical or emotional. And the household dysfunction is if there was a any history of mental illness in the home, an incarcerated relative, suicide attempts, a mother that was treated violently, divorce, and then substance abuse. And so this study actually was pretty, pretty amazing when they came out with the results that at least 30% of people had one age and two thirds had six or more. And the outcomes of this really struck the study or the researchers of how this was affecting people long-term in their health. One of the things that this 10-point scale was that the higher your ACE score, the more likely you developed long-term comorbidities, which included lung disease, cancers, high risk for stroke. You might actually have a higher risk of depression. Uh, you might have been more physically, um, excuse me, sexually active at a younger age, substance abuse, whether it was drugs or alcohol. Over time, the more ACEs that you had under the age of 18, your life expectancy could drop at an average of 20 years until you die 20 years earlier than expected. And so what the researchers were amazed at was how prevalent these ACEs were. And there's a pyramid that goes with this, and you can, you can Google ACEs out of childhood experiences, but what it looks like is that the, the brain is fully developed before, you know, early 20s. And so when you're experiencing these high stress situations as a child and you don't have the coping mechanisms and your brain doesn't have the pathways to handle the stress, it leads to these high risk behaviors. And then over time, you develop these long-term health issues. And then when we actually introduce these patients into the healthcare system, they're already far down the road and there's so much more about their history that we don't know about. You know, what they're what their household was like growing up, what experiences they had before becoming an adult. And so these stresses are affecting people long-term. So 
why are we talking about trauma-informed care and what does the ACEs have to do with today and working in the hospital or clinic and working with patients is that everyone has a story. And so when we present our patients, we talk about what brings you in today? Why are you here? What's wrong with you? What we're looking at is the who they are right in that moment in front of us instead of who they are as a person as a whole. And that's the basis of trauma-informed care, getting to know people way far beyond why they're standing in front of us, whether it's in the hospital or clinic. But I think at least the scientists, Samir, the, the academic portion of my brain finds very interesting is the effect that these experiences have on the growing brain. And I think I like to liken it to the example of why we even have a, a fight or flight system. And it made a lot of sense, you know, long, long ago, where if you were presented, let's say, a bear, that it would make sense that changes would occur in our body, that, you know, that our, our heart rate would increase, that our blood flow would increase so that we get enough oxygen and nutrients to the muscles to be able to run or to fight. And that those changes made sense because they helped to preserve us and to preserve life. Um, I've heard in, in this education or in the time we've spent studying this that, that what if that bear what if that bear comes home every single night? Because let's say that that bear is an abusive adult in your life um, and that that system, that fight or flight system is being activated on a regular basis, that for these kids that it, it actually is changing that pathway within their brain because as we know when we, when we have habits or when we have things that occur over and over, um, that those pathways are going to be increased or either upregulated or downregulated. And so that disrupted neurodevelopment leads to exactly what Ashley was talking about, where changes in um, our social, emotional, and cognitive processes that we use to, to process our world it may pick up health risk behaviors. I know when I first heard about the ACEs study, and I do encourage you to, there's a great TED talk about the ACEs. And when I first listened, I thought, well, you know, if, if they went to you know, let's say a very poor portion of town, that it, it may make sense that we may see more drug abuse or more, more suicide or more um, maybe unhealthy behaviors. But in actuality, two thirds of this population they studied had a college degree and two thirds were also Caucasian. And so this group wasn't one that necessarily had the other issues with some of the, the social disparities related to health but this may actually be due to that disrupted neurodevelopment. And I think that that's what makes it super important as you come into a healthcare environment because we do a lot of things that could be stressful to somebody who maybe experienced this type of stress before. You know, as a trauma surgeon, great example, a trauma comes in, what's one of the first things we do is we cut off all your clothes. And we do that because we're looking for missed injury in an attempt to save your life. But for a person who maybe has been disrobed before in a different circumstance, that could be very upsetting. And they're not at a place where maybe they can speak up and say, hey, guys, don't do that. And really, that's what we're talking about when we talk about these adverse childhood experiences and how they're going to play a role into that we see in the hospital that we see in other areas. So when we apply trauma-informed care, um, at least in my experience working in ER, like, like Dr. Evans said, in the trauma bay, it's pretty cut and dry. Like we... There, there's a very traumatic incident that's bringing that patient in. But when you're talking about patients in general, I think about examples, and I challenge the listeners of the podcast is really like think about patients that you have been working with or have worked with, and and they have this behavior that's so like out of like what why are they acting out that way? 
why why would someone come to the ER? Why would a teenage pregnant mom come to the ER at 11 p.m. right? Because why isn't she in bed or why isn't she doing homework or you know why are we out at all these these hours of the night? Why are you coming to the ER? But then if you apply the trauma-informed lens, it's really, instead of saying like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? It's like, well, what happened to you? What brings you here today? And so I, I go back to my experience working in the ER for so many years and seeing the abuse of the ER and patients that are diabetic and uncontrolled or have heart disease and they're still smoking. And so we tend to make these assumptions of, well, like, they just don't care. Why are you even asking for my advice? But when the reality is, is that are we looking deeper into the into their story? I feel like everyone has a story. And so that young teenage pregnant girl that comes to the ER at 11 p.m., she might have been working a third shift, right? So that she can help put food on the table or save up for maybe diapers and food for this baby. Maybe she was waiting for someone to come home to bring the car so she could drive herself. There's so many what ifs. So how do we stop those assumptions and judgments before we find out about that person. Why is this person's diabetes all over the place? Why can't they figure out how to eat healthy, take their medicine, their insulin, you know, make it to their appointments? But did we ever think about, you know, can they not get their insulin filled because they can't afford it because electricity is more important? Are they not getting their insulin because they don't have a refrigerator to store it in? And so there's so many questions of the what ifs. And so trauma-informed care really is at the person for all their experiences. Yes, we are triggering in the hospital. I joke around in education is that, you know, we put fingers in holes that people don't even know they exist. We ask very embarrassing questions. We're very into their private life. And so we can trigger them to be traumatized and go into that fight or flight. So that's why some of these patients act the way they do. They act out. They don't come back. Um, they're angry. They're fine one minute and not the next. And so these are experiences that I've personally had working as a nurse side by side with my colleagues and working closely with patients. Is you're trying to build that relationship so quickly. And how do you build that trust with them without triggering them into a past experience? Sometimes they don't even know what their past experience is. So I kind of went off there, Dr. Evans. Any examples you have, you know, of any patient interactions specifically you've noticed they've been triggered or re-traumatized? I think that that triggering becomes particularly important. I mean, obviously, we don't want to put our patients at more harm. Um, and obviously, being re-traumatized, it doesn't feel good. And so thinking about what that person is going through in that moment, how that feels for them. Um, it's also what we know about individuals who are re-traumatized, that they're less likely to adhere to advice or to seek the actual treatment that they need. And so as mentioned, when we talk about following, you know, medication recommendations or, or returning for a clinic visit that allows us to give them the care that they need, a person who's being re-triggered is likely going to be less responsive to that. And then again, that's where this becomes important to us as providers because that's why we show up each day is to help people. Um, and re-triggering is probably going to move us further away from that. So an example I think I see most clearly on the trauma side, it, you know, I, I think it's no mystery that trauma in and of itself, when I'm talking about physical trauma, also tends to be a disease. It's not uncommon that our trauma patients have been traumatically injured before. 
So for example, you know, well, we had a man admitted um, with a stab wound. You look back in his chart and he'd been assaulted two times prior and had sought medical care. And so again, it's not uncommon that our trauma patients not only have physical injuries, but then also if we were to ask questions close enough, um, are also um, have this type of ACEs and other areas of trauma. So one example I can think of was a, a young man, um, couldn't have been more than 16 or 17, that was sustained a gunshot wound to his calf. And this was really honestly went through the muscle in the skin. It didn't hit the vessel or, or the bone. And his hospitalization was really none. Um, he was treated, allowed to go home because there wasn't much more to do other than for him to take care of the wound. And that young man returned two more times. One was for pain control, and another was for what he thought was an infection. And I remember the group saying, you know, why does this kid keep coming back? And who's actually taking care of this kid? And, you know, he's just seeking pain control. And, and it wasn't until I opened a social work note where a social worker had gone to see him about his urine toxicity was also positive and to do a short intervention. And that he talked about that in his travels in, in the months prior, he had returned home to his home country. And in that time period had witnessed his cousin be killed. And I'm gonna guess that his returns to the hospital were actually um, somebody reaching out for help and trying to process what it is to not only see somebody that you know and love to be killed, but for that to happen violently. I think it's a perfect example that it wasn't until somebody stopped and said, you know, what's going on in your life and who's taking care of you and what support do you have that he felt safe enough to be able to talk about this experience and what occurred and to view him from the lens of somebody who honestly was hurting and reeling from an experience that really didn't have a whole lot to do with him. It wasn't that he killed his cousin or that he was a part of that really changed the way that I looked at this young man and him to the ER on, on multiple occasions. And so I think that brings us to one of our categories or principles of trauma-informed care and how do we empower our patients? How do we provide them with an environment that allows them to thrive instead of triggering them? And those principles really do lie in, in six different things. And one is safety. And this is both emotional and physical safety and something that we as healthcare providers can really a simple step that we can do for our patients um, to be able to provide them with that. Another is trustworthiness, peer support, and again, asking that question of who's helping you, who's, who, who do you have that you can rely on to be able to identify those. Collaboration, empowering our patients, and then looking at cultural, historical, and gender issues that may also be playing a role in this. I hope maybe that gave you an example. I don't, Ashley, do you have an example that you noted this was going on? Um, I just, you know, it, I can give you a thousand from my experience in the ER, but I specifically remember just, you know, those night shifts and, and oh, why are they coming in with the toothache now? I'm sure it hurt, you know, that it, they've had that problem for days and why don't they go to the dentist and, oh, another Medicaid patient here today and, just like the, just the ongoing comments that we have sometimes because we're not thinking uh, about the bigger picture. It's more like how is their emergency affecting my day? And I always used to say, well, what's an emergency to me might not be an emergency to you. Medicaid is still a form of insurance. There's so many things that we can do to kind of 
like put a stop to this conversation and really change our practices. And a lot of times we, when we get this education, people say, well, okay, so now we're aware of it. We know about the ACEs and we know about trauma-informed care. And, you know, you can dig and you can read a ton of stuff about it, but how do you apply it? How do you use it every day? And uh, one thing I learned early in my career was off of a Duder Leadership Conference way back when. And it said that the patient thinks that you spend 30% more time with them in the room if you sit down. And so like applying the trauma-informed practices, we tend to stand over our patients, right? They're lying on a gurney or in a bed. They're vulnerable. They don't have their clothes on. Sometimes their family and friends are not present. And so to just sit down next to them and, you know, and greet them and things that we can do for their safety, you know, is ask them, are you okay talking about this? Is it okay if I lift your gown to assess your abdomen? Like small little things that we can do to give them that power back and to give them that feeling of safety and trustworthiness. And a lot of times we don't have a lot of time with our patients. And especially when I was in the ER, I mean, it's, it's a quick turnaround. You might have them anywhere from, you know, an hour to four hours, but it's not days of building a relationship or years if I was in a primary care clinic being their provider. And so applying the daily practice, I always kind of think about how when I walk through the hallways of the hospital, and there's a great video that, um, that we use in our education, and anyone can look it up and if you saw it through their eyes. So when you walk through the hallways, or if you're down the aisle of a grocery store, if you're pumping gas at the gas station, and you look around and you see that you know everyone is experiencing something. So someone might have just got great news. You know, they, they put a bid on a new house. They're, they're celebratory. They're excited. Where the next person walks by, they might be losing their house because of financial problems. And there's just so many things we don't know. And so I like to just try to apply the trauma-informed care practice of allowing those people the space to be where they're at and to meet them where they're at. And so caring for patients and interacting with colleagues and friends and family is that, you know, just how are you today? And like mean it and have a moment to listen. With patients is how can we make you successful with your diabetes? You know, what can I do to help you get your medications filled? Just small things that we can do in practice are just, they make such a big difference. And I, I keep going back to my own practice, but have you come into a shift or you've walked into a room and someone is like, oh, this is the worst day ever. It was horrible. And then you're like, great, thanks. I've got 12 hours ahead of me. But you walk into work, it's so happy you're here today. Good morning. Good evening. You know, how are you today? Just little things that make such a big difference and this isn't just for our patients this is for everyone around us and so I think that's you know when I think about trauma-informed care and how to live it that's how I would that's how I feel about applying it to that daily practice and with your patients it's really just having a better understanding of there might be something else going on you know their behavior doesn't really match the situation and sometimes we don't need to know what the history is but just being that, that caring adult, like Dr. Evans said, is that to be that supportive person can mean so much in that moment. And so one thing that I think Ashley said, and it's a question that we get often is, is how do you, how do you ask those 10 questions? And this is part of us creating a culture that supports trauma-informed care 
is that we'll get there, you guys. We will we'll find a way to be able to get this medical history on our patients. Understand that an, an entire network goes with this because it's, it's not enough to just ask the questions and have the information. The more important portion of it is that we're able to provide these patients with additional support and to be able to work through this because the truth is, is that while the ACEs may give us some prediction, it definitely isn't an absolute. And so just because a person does have four or five ACEs doesn't mean that they are sentenced to these health problems and, and emotional problems that obviously like anything else in our lives, this is complex and, and with support, even people who do have an additional ACEs are, are able to thrive. The important part here is that you don't have to know what it is. You can pick up early that something's going on with this person and make that decision to go ahead and apply trauma-informed care measures and to be able to maybe interact differently with this individual because similar to our approach to, let's say, um, you know, contagious diseases, that we don't wait to hear that the person has HIV to wear gloves and, and to protect ourselves. We do that with all patients. And I think approaching trauma-informed care in a similar manner is, is very appropriate because we're not always going to know what the person's history is. And, and like I said, in all honesty, we don't have to know the specifics. The more important part is that we give them a healthcare environment that feels safe and where they trust us and feel that we are, are collaborating with them in, in their disease and in their, in their treatment process, I think are the, the big takeaways. So Ashley, what would you, if there's one thing you would tell nurses or healthcare providers and or health providers about trauma-informed care, what would be your one takeaway? I think that my favorite thing, Karen, you kind of, Dr. Evans, you kind of mentioned it already, is that it's humanizing medicine again. And so it's really taking away just the slapping on a diagnosis or the, you know, the, the prescription of the patient. You know, here comes another COPD or it's really humanizing the patient and so that we can connect with them on a personal level. And I'm not talking about like best friends forever personal level. I'm talking about just the respect of that someone is in a vulnerable position and we can be that, that friend or, you know, that shoulder to lean on. And just to really put that back into perspective, the trauma-informed care is making that person a person again and not just a disease or just a number. I think that is my, my biggest takeaway from learning about it and the ACEs and kind of, you know, diving into this a little bit deeper. I think for me, I oftentimes feel, you know, sometimes frustrated that, that we have this science and that we have medications and that sometimes people don't choose to use them and, and kind of some days of like, what am I doing? Does this really make a difference? And then I heard somebody say that hurt people do hurtful things. And it kind of just put it all to rest to say, you know what, I got to meet this person where they're at. And if they're at a place where, you know, my prescription for them is not going to be what they do, then, you know, part of the challenge is on me also to, to meet them where they're at and to understand that we all have a history and that their hurtful history may be why they're hurting others or hurting themselves. And it, it just changed the way that I approach, especially, like I said, the traditional trauma patient, because sometimes it is hard and we do wonder why they were out at 2 a.m. and the circumstances surrounding, and it's okay to wonder that, but understanding too that they may be acting out of survival 
um, and that it's again part of my job to recognize that. So I think for me that's been one of the biggest takeaways of this education. Yeah, survivors. We're all survivors of something. For nurses out there, I always say we're survivors. We made it through nursing school. We we took the NCLEX. We passed. We're actually taking care of patients. Dr. Evans, I know for the medical side, I mean, years of practice and long hours of hard work, but we're all survivors in some way. And that's the great thing about, you know, trauma-informed care. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what race or ethnicity, how much money you make, where you live. It really, it's about caring for people and having that, that relationship and that trust. So that's why we really truly believe in this and um, the work that we're doing. And, and we're so happy to share this information with as many people as possible and with the, the podcast and the nurses and the providers out there is that, you know, if you want to learn more about it, um, you can go to traumamattersomaha.org. Um, you can learn about the ACEs there and other educational resources. And then you can also always reach out to myself or Dr. Evans. And um, we love sharing this information and just really trying to change the culture of healthcare into bringing that human touch back to it. Any last things, Dr. Evans? Um. Not really. I think I think um, that was a great overview, and I think absolutely the things you said of of just you know maybe looking at this through a different lens. It's not rocket science. It's not you know a, a huge shift in what we would normally do. Sometimes I think it's just taking a step back and, and maybe saying you know what if I were in this patient's seat? Like what would the world look like to me right now, and would I feel comfortable? And if the answer is no, then I think it's okay to make a change and and do something different. Sometimes this does take a little more time. And I, I would be one of the first to agree that that can be a challenge. I think it's worth it, not only for the patient, but I know for myself, when we do have that personal connection with the patient, like we feel better. We feel like we, we did what we set out to do when we started the schooling that, <laughs> that Ashley talked about and, and really being able to to help people and moving away from what's wrong with you to, to what happened to you, I think is always applicable because it's not only true in, in trauma-informed care and, you know, adverse childhood experiences, but just in life in general and looking at it, at, like I said, from a different lens. So keep up the amazing work, you guys, everyone, you know, I just am so proud to be a part of Nebraska Medicine and, and UNMC and the education and, and the healthcare that goes on at this institution is, is truly amazing and, and thanks for this opportunity to share something we're passionate about yes thank you guys so much dr evans ashley thank you so much for this information it's just incredible useful helpful information and really helps us to get to the bottom of some of the behaviors that we may not understand otherwise i think that this is something that every single one of us can use in our practice and really when you think about it Every single one of us could be able to use this in our everyday life too. How much better would healthcare and our lives be should we be able to understand where others are coming from and really help them to heal and to be able to have the best healthcare experience that they can. So Dr. Evans, Ashley, thank you so much. And we can't wait to maybe explore this topic with you again in the future. And that's it for today's episode of RN Huddle. Thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait to be with you again on our next episode. So be sure to tune in. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. 
To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.